The European Union hints at a reopening to summer travel for vaccinated Americans. Celebrities descend into Los Angeles Union Station for this year's Academy Awards. And Turkmenistan has a new national holiday dedicated to the country's beloved native breed of dog, the Alibi. Monocle's editors tackle those topics today on the late edition here on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to the late edition here on Monocle 24. It's Monday the 26th of April and I'm Carlotta Rabello. I'm joined today by our regular Monday duo. Here with me in Studio One at Midori House in London are Monocle's editor-in-chief Andrew Tuck and Monocle 24 senior correspondent Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Welcome both back to the show. Fernando, how tired are you? I mean, you. I know we're going to get to it a bit later in the programme, but you've been up all night watching the Academy Awards. But I'm learning, Carlotta, you know, because I had four hours <laughs> solid sleep and I didn't have any espresso martinis I just had champagne I think that's a trick and you should only start drinking when the Oscar starts don't do pre-drinks because so, then you're going to feel quite tired so what you're saying is you started <laughs> drinking at 1am London time precisely precisely and you know it was worth it I mean it, it's always a big event for me I, I had mixed reactions about the Oscars we will talk about it later but I'm feeling good Carlotta oh exciting <laughs> Andrew was it a late night for you too or did you have a, a more chilled weekend by comparison I was talking up underneath my duvet long before the Oscars uh, kicked off here in the UK. Um, so no, I was not drinking champagne at one o'clock this morning. Well, maybe it's uh, something we could, a ritual we could start adopting before Monday late edition. Uh, we just start drinking at one a.m. before. Well, we'll investigate that, Fernando. Andrew, Fernando, great having you both here on the show as always. Well, the sun is shining here in London, so let's begin today's program with a look at the potential for summer travel in year two of the pandemic. Over the weekend, the New York Times reported that European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen told them Americans may be able to travel to the European Union this summer if they are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. It's been more than a year now since most European nations restricted non-essential travel from the United States. Uh, Andrew, I want to come to you first on this one, because this weekend on your column in the newsletter, the Monocle Minute, you wrote quite an astonishing stat there that according to this new survey, around 55% of Brits would like the current travel restrictions to stay in place for at least another year. Um, I wonder then, what is the public's appetite for overseas travel? I mean, everyone I speak to seems to be eager to go abroad, but clearly the numbers seem to indicate otherwise. Well, I think it's because who you know. So you know many people who, who may be uh, born overseas, have family overseas. So for them, the, the, the notion that you would not want to travel seems absolutely crazy. So there is a, there is a, a, a logical uh, contingent to, to that number, which are the people who feel that in the past we were very slow to put in place uh, controls of the borders. And because of that, we had, you know, a greater vulnerability to infection and death than we should have done. And you, you see that playing out in another story here in the UK with Boris Johnson today and, and allegations that he made some pretty shocking remarks about not wanting to lock down. But then there's another group which who I think are just grumpy old sods who just, you know, they don't give a damn about anybody else and they they, they, they like the lockdown and they, they like it quiet and they, they don't see why people should be going on holidays. And they're oddly quite a, a big group. And then there are others who I think have just kind of got used to this year. And I understand it. You you, you settle into a routine and it becomes a bit kind of nervy. I think we've all had tiny moments of it. But if you've been locked down for a full year, the notion of going back out there is suddenly 
quite a weird thing and and you're like no 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 let's let's pause let, let's not do that today so even though all the restaurants for example you can book outdoors and things still many people i speak to are like yeah you can do it but i'm going to wait a little bit and it's funny how many people are still reticent so i think younger people uh, are definitely a little bit more out there than older people so it's difficult and and it's not going to go back to things as they were and also i think people are just like bored of like booking things and cancelling them. You know, a good example, I had a, a flight to Palma de Mallorca, which I booked pre-COVID, and it was meant to be used, I think, in, in the actual March. I've rebooked that ticket seven times <laughs> with uh, with the airline. Every time I have, it's like an hour on the phone because it's complicated because my partner has a ticket, but booked on a different code. And it's like, So you're on the phone for one hour, seven times already. And I think you get to the point where you think, why bother? Why bother? Let's just wait and see what happens. And in the meantime, everyone else can can go to the British coast. And what, what, do, they, what do they need to go away for? <laughs> well, Fernando, I am curious to hear your view on this, you know, as a fellow foreigner in this country, uh, because, of course, not all overseas travel is for holidays, as Andrew mentioned there as well. You know, many have not seen family for well over a year now. So what are your views on this current debate happening? To be honest, I think like many people, it's, I have lots of conflicting views and, and anxiety. I understand what Andrew's saying that some people, you know, I was so happy like when London started to open up, you know, I went to a few shops. It's nice to be able to see friends. But I'm also like, I'm taking it easy. You know, that doesn't mean that I want to go out uh, every night. But at the same time, there's a tingle of, of sadness. Maybe I don't know if you have that as well, Carlotta, because for me, overseas travel is extremely important for holidays as well, because I think I generally think people, what's the problem? Mm. You know, people need to have a time off. They need to experience uh, different things whatever they decide to go it doesn't mean to be even internationally uh, but you know the fact that you cannot see your family god that that's extremely i feel very anxious you know and even it's interesting talking to andrew muller for him it's so hard to go back to australia i mean it would interrupt his job it's a super expensive and of course I, I believe the majority of australians are happy the way things are going but at the same time it's very sad i mean we used to live in a globalized world i mean there was no problem if i wanted to go to brazil very quickly you know to see my family uh, or, or or anything else or go to an event uh, as andrew was saying a lot of events are still cancelling, a lot of insecurity. So yeah, it is it is an anxious moment. There are moments of happiness. I'm very glad that London is opening up, you know, uh, the vaccination is going very well. But we do live in a globalized world. I mean, my country has been completely devastated by COVID as well. And now we see the, you know, India, which is also a big global player. I wish kind of the whole world would cooperate a bit more. It would be nice because then we can all be free and hopefully travel without even thinking about it. Well, and I guess it's also opens up this idea that, I don't know if you feel the same, but it has never bothered me not to live in my country because, as you said, it's really quick to go back if something happens. And suddenly, when you cannot, you feel trapped, which is a really weird feeling because probably if that had always been the case, the decision to leave your country wouldn't have been so easy to make. I don't know if you sympathize with that. You mentioned India there. It makes me think I have this group with four best friends from university. One is from India, another one from the US, another one from the Netherlands, and me from Portugal here in the UK. It's the first year in 10 years that we have not seen each other the past two years, which is unbelievable. But Andrew, going back to the point about this hint that the European Union might open up to the US... Will we get to a danger that countries will reopen to each other if basically their vaccination programs are on the same track? Will we get, you know, some nations more favoured than others? Is this the correct approach? Well, 
nobody thinks that's an ideal approach, but it's just inevitable. If, if, if you feel that somebody else's infection rates are particularly low, then you'll feel more comfortable allowing those people in. And that's what's going to happen here, we understand, on May 17th, when there is a, a, a look again at the world of travel and the notion that countries will be ranked. And if they're a green country, then you'll be able to go there. And when you come back, not do quarantine. But the list of countries on there are all countries or places with very high vaccination rates, you know, Gibraltar, Malta, uh, potentially the US. And it hasn't been definitely set in stone yet what, what, what countries will be green. And the countries on the red list, you know, include, as you said, the likes of India, you know, Oman, Angola, uh, lots of African countries, Brazil. Um, so I don't know. But the interesting thing, although the the Europeans are saying that they're going to welcome back the Americans, the Americans are still saying, don't travel. Hmm. So it could be that while you know Europe says, oh, come and spend your dollars here, that actually the American government puts in place you know strategies to stop people coming to Europe. It's going to be a choppy summer. There are people going to come. And the, the 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 mood, I think, which has again been hinted at when you look at bookings for holidays, is that people are placing their bets for autumn. People are thinking, actually, we won't do the June holiday this year. We'll do September, October. And I think that there's going to be a lot of that because hopefully by then, most European countries will be up to kind of the vaccination levels that begin to suppress the virus in meaningful ways. Can I add something as well? I think especially the media, we should learn that because I've been reading a few articles like, Oh, how we can travel in your own living room. I mean, let's stop with that. I mean, there, there, there's a reason why we want to travel, right? I mean, okay, I travel every day in my living room, but I want to proper go to a place. Of course, I understand it's hard, but let's just be realistic about things. You know, let's not forget that travel is an essential thing in our lives for holidays, for family purposes or whatever reason it is. That's all. Well, let's turn now to the big event of the weekend, the 93rd edition of the Academy Awards, which took place last night in Los Angeles. Andrew, as the host of The Urbanist, a show we make together every week, I, for one, quite enjoyed the parade of celebrities descending into Union Station for this affair. It was quite nice to see a bit of transport infrastructure <laughs> to serve as the host venue for this. Did you watch the awards at all, or have you been uh, on the recap watch this morning? I've, I've looked at some of the, the recap. And yeah, the Union, Union Station is an interesting place to hold it because it's at the heart of the city's you know terrible, terrible homelessness problem. You know, when you step out of that station, you know, the streets are full of people who have nowhere to live and have made shelters and temporary shelters. And I know that many of those people were, were asked to shift for the for the duration of the the event, but. It, it's it was an attempt to do something that's right for the times, and it's interesting. You know, you couldn't do that in the UK at the moment, so at least they they made some effort to get people together. There was some good social distancing, but you know, again, it, it, the idea of people dressing up again is is an important thing. And just a tiny thing on that, you know, I go running in the evenings, and one of the funny things I suddenly noticed the other night was, you know, I was running like seven eight o'clock through the city, and there were people going out for the evening finally to go and get dinner and things and just smelling scent and fragrance on women as they were going to dinner it was this olfactory thing that you know i just hadn't really noticed people you know you know maybe people looking nice but the scent of people going out for the night and that's what seeing you know the the parade of you know oscar dresses and and all the hullabaloo around it is what that's why it's so enthralling in a way because it's a trigger thing it makes you think of better times 
Well, Fernando, as we mentioned in the beginning of the show, you did stay up all night covering this for us. And I know you have a short clip that you want to highlight, but perhaps let's start exactly with that. Give me some of your highlights first. Well, first of all, I admire that the Oscars tried something new. It was definitely not kind of a Zoom award ceremony. Most of the stars, they were either present or there were kind of some set-up studios in cities like London and Paris. And and it was quite beautiful, actually, to see Union Station. But but i I, I got to be honest, as a ceremony, it was a bit I think if you're not if you're an average kind of film lover not perhaps kind of a film critic or uh, you know it would be a difficult watch there was a kind of a lack of entertainment there was no Lady Gaga in the piano with Bradley Cooper so it was very much a straightforward award ceremony here is the Oscars there were there was not a host I think that that's kind of a, I was missing a host even the end of the show for best actor for Anthony Hopkins well deserved even though he was not there for his speech and suddenly the show that was it, it just ended so abruptly because there was no kind of host uh, but you know they tried I really like some of the winners I think Nomadland really deserved for Best Picture Director and for Actress for Frances McDormand uh, but yeah you did mention that I have a clip right and I think I think you both going to enjoy that that was the best speech of the night for supporting actress this is Jung, uh, Ju- Jung from Minari with her well-deserved Oscar now let's have a listen see I don't believe in competition how can I win, win over Glenn Close? I've been watching her so many performances. So this is just uh, all the nominees, five nominees. Uh, we are the winner for the different movie. We play the different role. So we cannot compete each other. Tonight I'm here, it's just, uh, I have just a little bit luck, I think. Maybe I'm luckier than you. <laughs> and also maybe... Is a American hospitality for the Korean actor? I'm not sure, but anyway, thank you so much. She should be the host next year. That's a lot of people. I mean, she was, it was. I I don't know. It made me smile because a lot of the speeches they can be quite long, like four minutes long. They're thanking everyone from their parents to their parents. But she was to the point. She even flirted a little bit of Brad Pitt in I a jokey it. way. She was like, "Finally, Mr. Pitt, we meet." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it was really fun. I mean, well deserved. So, and I think you agree, right? Yeah, I, mean, I you liked her performance. I think it was an amazing film. And 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 unfortunately, the way the way that you know cinemas were operating, well, not operating at the moment, many. Of these films have not had European releases yet. That's the, the other strange thing. So even on streaming platforms, I think the likes of Nomadland only comes out this weekend. So it's uh, it's been a strange time. Even The Father, which you know won two Oscars, apparently the, there's a, a June UK release. It's, it's very weird because there's an appetite for uh, for to watch films like this at the moment. Oh, I've been dying to watch most of those films and <laughs> they're not available in any legal way. And we need to watch things on the correct streaming platform. So <laughs> of course, of I will course. keep waiting. Uh, I did watch Sound of Metal um, last weekend and that was really lovely as well. Very well done. Got two Oscars. Exactly. And exactly for what I was expecting, which was for sound too. Well, finally today, let's move things along. Turkmenistan has been celebrating a new national holiday dedicated to the country's national breed of dog. Well, I know that avid listeners will be quick to point out that that was indeed the barking of a German shepherd rather than Turkmenistan's native alibi. But nonetheless, it's a breed of shepherd dog. 
and helps us illustrate this item and drive the point a bit closer to home. Well, President Gurbanguly Berdimukhamedov has encouraged veneration of the breed as a symbol of national heritage. Andrew, as the dog owner among us, is this level of veneration a bit too much? Or do you do you think every country should start a campaign to dedicate a national holiday to their dogs? Well, first of all, I think you should get a prize for saying the president's name. Thank you. <laughs> that, was, that was very well done. I was uh, practicing all afternoon. I was, I was very, <laughs> very glad that I didn't have this bit of the script. Look, it's it's an inter- interesting thing. You know, that this dog is so revered there. So they have a statue elsewhere in the country that's fifty foot high of the of this dog. It's it's a giant dog. It, it, it weighs like 110 pounds. It's, it's the size of a human. I, I kind of looked up to see whether it was worth getting one. It says. It's not good for an apartment. So <laughs> it, it's, it's herding instincts are, are, are unlikely to benefit you in the house. It needs a lot of food. Apparently very easy to groom. That's a good thing. You can, they, they like a good brush. But um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's good that everyone venerates their dogs and takes care of dogs. And uh, again, a story rattling around here in the UK today, which is you know, the, the number of dogs bought during a pandemic that people are already kind of trying to offload and dump because they realise that they, they, they need a little bit of, of love and attention to, for things to go right. But here's a dog that's properly revered as a national holiday. But in the UK, I guess, you know, if, well, certainly in England, it would be the, the bulldog that supposedly would be the, the national dog for many. But I think that's changed over the year. I think it would have to be a kind of a, some, a cockapoo, a lavrapoo, or a, a poodle doodle doodle, or something along that variety would be, would be the national dog. And I think they're quite hard to uh, celebrate in exactly the same way. Well, maybe an excuse for more than just one national holiday, celebrating our dogs. We might be onto <laughs> something there. Well, Fernando, how about Brazil? Do, does Brazil have its own dog breed? Would it be worth having a national holiday? Well, first of all, Brazilians love their dogs. And, you know, Andrew was talking about the Labradoodles or Cucapufu or whatever. <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, Brazilians love small dogs. Apparently, we have more small dog, dogs per capita than anywhere in the world. <laughs> but funnily enough, most of our dogs are actually imported. But I was reading, you know, the most famous actually Brazilian, proper Brazilian dog. He's uh, Fila Brasileiro, the Brazilian Mastiff. But then I was reading, actually, I've seen quite a few when I was younger their characteristics are quite difficult, actually. Aggressive, unforgiving, but brave. So they are really big dogs, very dangerous. In fact, you can't breed a Fila Brasileiro here in the UK. Uh, so they have a kind of a bad reputation, even though I'm sure some of them are lovely. So I'm not sure if Brazilians... Sounds would... like you're describing your president. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So so I don't think the, the, that the Brazilian Mastiff deserves a holiday. Probably <laughs> Brazilians will stay with their... So, Andrew, what you're saying is we cannot expect uh, to celebrate Macy anytime soon as a national holiday in this country? Well, she's a fox terrier, which is a pretty good British breed. But I like the fact that, you know, uh, our our dog breeds are kind of open to so many other kind of mixes and varieties. Last night we came back to the city and just as we were getting the dog out of the car, someone else came around the corner with a really lovely little dog and um, got chatting to this young couple. And they had been living for work in the Ivory Coast for a year. And they, in the jungle, uh, just like 18 months ago, they found a puppy that would have been abandoned. And um, it was probably six weeks old when they found it. The dog, they'd called the dog Loco, which I believe is a name of a, the place that they were living in the Ivory Coast. They brought the dog back to the UK. The dog has had a few ups and downs getting used to being in Britain. But because even though it was sunny and big, it feels the, the, the cold because it's come all the way from the Ivory Coast. It was still wearing its Christmas jumper. <laughs> See, I would, I would say that, is my, my, that would be the dog I would make a statue of. A kind of a dog that's had a, a great journey to come to this country and has, has, 
has made the most of it. <laughs> and who likes Christmas? What more do you want? Oh, That's that beautiful. sounds pretty perfect to me. The only claim of fame from Portuguese water dog is the dogs of the Obamas. They lived in the White House, so that's pretty good. It's not yeah, a national yeah. holiday, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all for today's late edition. A big thank you to Andrew Tuck and Fernando Augusto Pacheco for joining me on today's show. And of course, to our studio managers, Steph Chungo and Sam Empey. I'm Carlotta Rubello here in London. The late edition is back at the same time tomorrow. Thank you.